everyone. Thanks for checking out the Citizens Podcast. We are the high school student ministry at Maranatha Bible Church, and we meet on Sundays at 11 a.m. in the student wing. If you enjoy this podcast, we would love it if you posted it on your Instagram story and tag at NBC Citizens. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy. Hey, everybody. Thanks for the worship time this morning and the singing. That was really encouraging. I am Brad Mooney. I know a lot of you from the middle school years, and the only reason I'm in here this morning is because they wanted a father to be in here for Father's Day. Now, actually, uh, Brian is still in Miami, so they're working their way back, and uh, I was planning on being in here for a few weeks to, to give you guys a little bit of a challenge and hopefully a little bit of an encouragement as well. Um, the high school group, you guys have been going through a little bit of a series on the seven deadly sins. And uh, last week, Jeff talked about greed and how that could be a struggle for us in our lives. And this morning, I get the awesome topic of gluttony. Gluttony. Yes. Yes, I get that. And so um, I need to ask you guys, I was driving over here this morning with my daughters, and I asked them what gluttony is. And they gave me some good definitions, but I want you guys to tell me, what is gluttony? What does that even mean? Does that, have you guys ever even heard that word? Like, do you use that word every day? I don't think we do. Yeah. Okay. That's a good, that's a good starting definition. I like that. Yes. A continuous hunger for more? Nice. Yeah. Overindulgence. Someone, someone's got to define indulgence. I don't even know what that means. How would you define overindulgence? Okay. Okay. More than what you might need, maybe, or what's good for you. Good. The, the dictionary definition of gluttony is too much of something. But there's more to it. It also has to do with habitual greed, like Jeff talked about last week, being greedy about something. It has to do with being lazy to some degree. It has to do with being a loafer, you know, just kind of loafing around. But it also has to do with excessive eating. Mmm, whoa. So I personally think that's why Brian asked me to be up here this morning because my body mass index does indicate that I am in the obese category. I'm just letting you guys know that. Just letting you know. So that's probably why I'm teaching this morning. In our culture, if you were to look at my height and my weight and go to the body mass index, it would say that Brad Mooney is obese. It would say that. It would say that. Yeah, it would. Believe it. Believe it. It's, it's crazy. It's crazy. But people think, when they think of gluttony, a lot of times they think of just obesity, or they just think of laziness. They just think of people that just maybe don't care about anything other than satisfying their own needs and wants and desires. We're going to look this morning at what the Bible says about gluttony and hopefully get a better perspective on how it affects our lives. So on the screen up here, if you go to the 
slide that, go, to a couple, go ahead a couple slides. What is gluttony? We just talked about that. Gluttony this morning, we're going to look at it from the perspective of food worship. Like, what? What does that, is that even possible? Like, you just set a piece of cake on the table and you like bow down to it. You know, is that what we're talking about? No, we're not talking about that. But we are talking about what is something that is taking your attention potentially away from God. Gluttony could be defined as using food in a way that dulls us from the spiritual and distracts us from God. So if we're biblically a glutton, if we're somebody that struggles with the sin of gluttony, then we're putting food and our own cravings in front of God and in the place of God in our everyday lives. It's using food that it's giving too much attention to the food in our lives. There's a passage in 1 John that talks about the ways of the world, and it talks about how the world has desires of the flesh, desires of the eyes, and pride of life. It talks about those kind of three categories of our sin and our, desi- and our desires that are contrary to, to the ways of God. And the gluttony type sin is going to fall into this category of desires of the flesh. Things that bring us comfort in our lives. Specifically, we're going to look at food. So what are the dangers of gluttony? What are the dangers of gluttony? Let me ask you guys that. What do you think, if you struggle with the sin of gluttony, what kind of dangers would that bring in your life? What kind of things could that affect? What kind of things could that cause problems with? Yeah. Health issues, right, for sure, right? If you're, if you're a glutton, and the Bible talks about that as being somebody who a lot of times as we look through the picture of Scripture overall, it, it deals a lot with that kind of feeling of laziness, that attitude of loafing around and just eating and getting comfort from that. Self-control, right, exactly. What's actually controlling you? Is it the word of God or is it your own personal physical cravings, right? The desires of, of your flesh. So there's, we're gonna talk about three specific dangers and we're gonna talk about them from a biblical perspective this morning. So the first danger of gluttony is that it's belittling God, it's belittling God. It puts food in the place of God. I'm on, I'm on this like definition kick this morning. So belittling is another word that you might not use a lot, but belittling is a word that means making someone seem unimportant, making God small, undervaluing someone, mocking them, dismissing them, bad-mouthing them, bashing them. That's what belittling is like. You guys all know when someone has bad-mouthed a friend of yours or they've bashed somebody that you know and, and you're like, man, they're, they're really thinking pretty lowly of that person, right? They're not honoring that person. Well, gluttony is one of those sins that belittles God. It makes God smaller than who he really is. It makes him unimportant because we put something else in his place that gives us comfort and significance. What I'd like to do this morning Because gluttony is one of those sins that kind of takes the place of God in our lives, 
I want to make sure that as we read scripture that we're actually not belittling God, but we're actually honoring God. So every time a slide comes up on the board, we're going to stand up and we're going to read it together. And then I'm going to go on. So we got a, we got a passage of scripture we're going to look at this morning. So everybody stand up. We're going to read Philippians chapter 3. And because you guys love to just yell out, we're going to say it together. So everybody read it out loud together, all right? I'll start. Brothers, join me in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you, and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. The apostle, you can be seated. The apostle Paul is writing to Christians in the church in Philippi. He's writing to them and he's challenging them and he's asking them or he's uh, challenging them to walk in a manner that's worthy of the calling that they've received. And he's comparing them to the worldly individuals. He's saying that don't put something in the place of God. He says of these people, he says, there were many of them even as we used to be, if we're, not, if, if we're Christians now, he's saying to them, even before you were a Christian, you, you walked this way. He said they were enemies of the cross. Their end is destruction. They have no hope. They have no future. And then he says this, which seems, it seems odd if, you don't, if we're not talking about the topic of gluttony, but he throws in there, their God is their belly. They glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. And then Paul says, but our citizenship is in heaven. And he goes on to provide words of encouragement to them in regard to that. So Paul's saying, there are, at one point in our lives, if, we're, if we aren't a Christian, or before we became a Christian, really all we lived for was what satisfies us. What, basically he's saying their belly is their God. What makes them feel good? What is it that gives them comfort? What is their go-to thing in life that provides them that comfort and that security? And God says, their end in that mindset, their end is destruction. There's no hope in that. If you, if you base all your hope on things of this world, specifically food that you put into your stomach, and you think that's gonna get me, that, that's gonna provide comfort, that's gonna provide peace, that's gonna provide me with strength, that's gonna provide me with all the nourishment that I need, I don't need anything else, then you're belittling God with that type of an attitude. And Paul says, we don't wanna be doing that. Our citizenship is in heaven. There's also a danger when you're belittling God that it distorts the purpose of God's good creation. So not only does it like, belittle God and say that, God, you're not, you're not providing for me, you're not, you're not what's most important to me, but it also distorts 
the purpose of his own creation. There's a story in the Old Testament where Moses is talking to the Israelites, and they're getting ready to go into the promised land. And he gives them a little challenge. Moses doesn't get to go into the promised land because of other things that happened, but he's challenging them. And we're going to look at this passage in Deuteronomy 8, 1 through 3. So stand up. We're going to read this together. Deuteronomy 8, 1 through 3. It says, The whole commandment that I command you today you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. You can sit down. When, we're, when we have a gluttonous, kind of a gluttony attitude in our lives, it ruins our appetite for our fellowship with our creator. Because we feel like we can, we can gain satisfaction, we can gain um, encouragement and purpose outside of God. If all of our needs and cravings are met through food, then we won't need God, right? We won't, there's no need for him. In the, in the Old Testament, the Israelites, they're wandering around the wilderness, we just read it, and God every morning provided manna for them. Manna was just like a flaky, bready type food that they would go around and gather, and that would sustain them. That was their food. God provided that every day. And here is a reminder that Moses is saying, this was kind of humbling to the Israelites because they really didn't do anything to earn that or gain that. God was just graciously giving it to them every day. And so many times in our lives, we can start focusing on the things that God's giving us or that God's putting in our lives and lose our focus on who's the one that's actually giving it. Who's the one that's actually providing those things for us in our everyday lives. So God provided for them. The manna sustained them, but it was really God who provided the manna, and yet they were losing their focus on what was most important in their lives. So I want to challenge you, like, if we're talking about the dangers of gluttony, one of them is that it distorts the purpose of God in his creation, and it takes our focus off of um, God and puts it onto, like, his creation and what he's giving us, as opposed to us focusing on God himself. There's another verse of scripture that deals with this as well in 1 Timothy, and this one's kind of a cool one because it's practical. It's something that we as a church at Maranatha do. There's a time in our church where we'll have uh, widows in our church, and widows a lot of times need help. Maybe they don't have family members that are nearby, and they need the church to come alongside them and look out for them and provide for them. Well, Paul had a situation that he was writing to Timothy, and he was giving him like kind of instructions and directions on how do I, how does a church leader know when or when not to help a widow that might or might not be in need? And so it kind of, it's a neat little story that plays into this idea of gluttony. So Paul tells them how to support widows and how to, uh, and, and what qualifies these widows for assistance. And I want to read this verse of scripture. So stand up. We're going to honor scripture again this morning and give God 
his honor while we read the word. And it says here in 1 Timothy, read it with me, honor widows who are truly widows, but if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. She who is truly a widow, left alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. You can be seated. So this passage is kind of, you might be like, well, what does that have to do with gluttony? Well, the, what Paul's trying to encourage Timothy with here, he's saying, look at the widows in your church and look at the ones that are offering up prayers and supplications night and day and compare that to the one who is self-indulgent and is dead even while she lives. Paul says those widows, and it doesn't just have to be widows, those individuals who are self-indulgent, who, there's that word, who used indulgent? You did, right? So those individuals who are only concerned about how they're going to um, make themselves feel better, and they're focused inwardly, selfishly, Paul says those who are self-indulgent, indulgent, they're dead even while they live. So even while they're walking around thinking everything's great, that type of attitude basically results in uh, if this is even possible, a dead life, right? It results in a life that is not a life that's honoring to the Lord. It's not a life that is um, being blessed. It's not a life that is being uh, a light to those around it. It's like a dead person walking around with nothing to offer. And Paul says, when you're focused and when a person is self-indulgent, then they're dead even while they live. This type of person sets her hope on selfish things instead of feasting on God's word. Gluttony can not only lead to ultimate judgment one day, but it can also ruin our everyday lives here. We can be walking around as if we're dead if we're focused so much on our selfishness and our cravings and our desires that we let those things take the place of God in our everyday lives. So we've got the first danger that we talked about was belittling God, right? The second danger is hating my brother. So this one's interesting. A lot of times when you think of gluttony, you think of how it affects you personally. Like, I'm being selfish. I'm, it's all about me, 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 me. But in reality, when, when someone is being selfish and being focused on satisfying their own cravings and desires, they're actually not only hurting themselves, but they're hurting their brother, or their sister, or their neighbor. Because what they're doing is they're taking time and energy away from what they could possibly be doing to help others. They're focusing it all on themselves. It's a very selfish perspective. And there's a pretty interesting story that Jesus tells in the Gospel of Luke. So why don't we stand up? We'll read, we'll read Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 21. This is Jesus talking. He tells this story. He says, we'll read it together. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. Mm, you can be seated. So... 
Here's a story of this rich man, right? And this rich man, he feasted sumptuously every day. This guy had money. He could just get the meals, whatever he wanted. He could just chow down. This guy, Lazarus, was a poor man who laid outside his gate, and all he wanted was just a crumb from Lazarus's table. Just give me a crumb. That's all I need. That's all I want. But Lazarus didn't offer that to him. Was, do you guys think this rich man, do you think he was able to help Lazarus? Like, would he have the ability to help Lazarus? Yeah, he would have the ability. He's got all the money in the world, right? He's rich. He can make himself a feast every day. But why didn't he? Why didn't he help Lazarus? What? What? Yeah, just selfish, self-indulgent, self-focused. He probably didn't even, he probably, when he, when he left his house and Lazarus is laying there by his gate, he probably looked the other way. He probably didn't even want to see Lazarus, right? He probably didn't even want to be bothered by this person that's just begging for crumbs. And this rich man says, I'm just going to sit around and eat and feast every day, and I'm going to find my joy and my purpose in all of my possessions, in all of this stuff that's going to make me feel good, and as a result, I'm going to miss out on helping those around me that might need, might need help. So the question for us this morning is, do I ever miss out on building relationships with others because I'm too self-centered? Like, do I ever miss out on that? Like, do I ever walk out of my house, figuratively speaking, and walk down the street and, and look the other way when someone has a need? Um, when I'm at school and I'm talking to my friends and someone brings up something that they're really struggling with or they're hurting with, do I just, like, change the subject and move on because I don't want to deal with it? Um, are there situations with my siblings where I'm like, you know what, I want to go and just look at my phone for an hour. I do not want to be bothered by you, right? Yeah, it happens all the time. So we pick and choose throughout the day. What are the things that we want to focus on? And what are the things that we want to spend our time doing? What are the things that we want to do that's going to bring us joy and comfort and, and satisfaction? And the question is, do we miss out on the needs of others and being able to meet those needs when we're so self-centered? That's one danger of, of gluttony, of being so self-focused on what makes me feel good. There's another passage of Scripture in 1 Corinthians that tells a, a story. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Why don't we stand up and we'll read that together. This is a passage of Scripture where Paul is trying to encourage the Christians in Corinth in the area of the Lord's Supper, a communion, having a time of fellowship with each other, but also a fellowship with God in remembrance of what Jesus has done for them on the cross. Paul says, let's read this out loud. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat, for in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal, one goes hungry, and another gets drunk. So go ahead and sit down. So there was a problem in Corinth. They were getting together to eat together, and part of their time together while they ate together as a church was they would take time to remember what Jesus did for them on the cross. It, was kind of, it would be kind of like if you sat down at your dinner table with your family and you just paused and said, let's remember Jesus. Let's remember his blood. Let's remember his body. Let's do that together. Well, in Corinth, 
they would get together all the time and have meals and they would, they would be there uh, as a church with, with each other. And Paul says, there's a problem going on right now because when you guys get together, and I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hand, but this is what's happening. There's a buffet of food and you wanna go to the front of the line and you wanna load up your plate and you don't have any care in the world that we got, you know, we brought in Chick-fil-A for everybody, and you're just gonna take like 20 chicken strips, and you're not gonna worry that the person that's last in line might not get anything. Because you're so focused on yourself, you just wanna feed yourself. You wanna satisfy your craving for some more chicken nuggets, right? And in Corinth, they were getting together, and they were saying each one goes ahead with his own meal, and yet one goes hungry, another person gets drunk. He's saying, you're not thinking of others at all. You're thinking in, a, in this like gluttonous mindset where you're just trying to satisfy yourself. And um, it insists on the satisfaction of my cravings even if someone else has to go hungry as a result. Are you seeing kind of a theme with this topic? It, gluttony is really just a real selfishness. It's a very big, selfish problem. And a lot of times, we may not even recognize it in our lives. And so these are just good reminders for us this morning. The third danger is the word that we've already said a few times, self-indulgence. Self-indulgence. If I give in to whatever my stomach craves, I'll find myself giving in to other sinful indulgences as well. What this means is that if we're going to talk about self-indulgence in the area of gluttony, in the area of food and in the area of satisfying my cravings, what, that's, what we need to remember is that this is a kind of a slippery slope. This is like one of those, if you, if you make a snowball in the winter and you push it down the hill, it's just gonna get bigger and bigger and bigger until it becomes a huge snowball. Same thing with the rock. You're out somewhere and you, and you, push, a, you push a rock off the edge of a cliff, it's gonna take a while for it to stop. It's gonna bounce and roll and roll and roll. It's the same sort of thought here. If we give in to this like craving and self-indulgence, it's gonna flow into other areas of our lives. It's gonna cause us to struggle and have difficulty in other areas as well. There's a crazy passage in the Old Testament that we're gonna look at where Eli was a priest in the Old Testament and he had two sons. And these two sons were just not good guys at all. And they were working in the, in the temple and they were receiving people's uh, donations and sacrifices. And in the Old Testament, there was a provision for priests to like eat some of the food that was offered as kind of, they like set some aside and that would kind of help provide for the priests. But these guys, they weren't doing that. They were like picking out like the choicest morsels of food and they were putting those aside for themselves because they were greedy and they were craving this. They were gluttons for this type of like special treatment. And Eli says to his son, he said, guys, this is not right. You should not be doing that. And then we'll see what happened to them like five or six verses later where you take this thought of um, self-indulgence and see how it can kind of roll into other areas of, of problems. So stand with me and we'll read a couple passages in the book of 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel 2, 12 through 17. You guys ready? This is a long one. Stick with me. Now the sons of Eli were worthless men. Stop. Wouldn't that be terrible if like 
you were defined as like, described as like a worthless person. So Bible says that, this, we'll start again. The sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. The custom of the priests with the people was that when any man offered sacrifice, the priest's servants would come while the meat was boiling with a three-pronged fork in his hand, and he would thrust it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot. All that the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. This is what they did at Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. Moreover, before the fat was burned, the priest's servants would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, Give meat for the priest to roast, for he will not accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. And if the man said to him, Let them burn the fat first, and then take as much as you wish, he would say, No, you must give it now, and if not, I will take it by force. Thus, the sin of the young men was very great in the sight of the Lord, for the men treated the offering of the Lord with contempt." Don't sit down yet. So these guys, again, real quick, they weren't doing what God told them to do as priests. They wanted the best portions for themselves, and if people wouldn't give that to them, they threatened them with violence. Well, a little bit later on in the passage, if you go to 2 Samuel 2.22, this is literally five verses later in the story. Let's read this. Now Eli was very old, and he kept hearing all that his sons were doing to all Israel, and how they lay with the women who were serving at the entrance to the tent of meeting. And he said to them, Why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from all these people. You can sit down. That's the Bible. That's the Bible's nice way of saying that these guys were hooking up with girls. Right? Here's these guys that are supposed to be priests supposed to be doing the work of the Lord, and it's a slippery slope. goes from one thing to the next to the next. And Eli says, your evil dealings, I hear about it from all the people. They're all talking about it. You guys are just evil. You're worthless, right? And so I just want to challenge you guys. As we think about that self-indulgence mindset where you're thinking about yourself all the time and you're wanting to satisfy your own cravings and your own desires, it's going to lead to other problems, it's just going to if you don't, if you don't uh, get ahead of that and not allow yourself to go down that path. So that brings us to the final question. How can I combat against the struggle of gluttony? What can I do? How can I not fall into that particular sin of gluttony? What do you guys think? Can you think of any practical things that we could be doing to help us with, those, with this problem? Yeah. You'll see that on the slide in a few minutes. Awesome. Yeah. Yes. It's on there too. That's two. Yes. Yes. You guys got all the answers. Did you look at my notes before, before I started? These are good. Good. So these are just practical things, right, that we can be doing. Any other thoughts on that? So we want to, if we're talking about... Um, the, 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 the three dangers that we talked about. We talked about belittling God. We talked about hating my brother. And we talked about self-indulgence. We need to ask ourselves, how can I focus on honoring God, keeping him in his highest right place? How can I focus on loving others, other relationships, people around me? And how can I stop that rolling stone from going down the hill and just causing destruction in other areas of my life? 
So that's the question for us. And I got a slide that's got some strategies for us. I don't know if you guys can read that or not, but there's 10 strategies. I'm gonna bust through them real quick and you don't have to uh, memorize them or anything, but just think about them for a second. Strategies for fighting against gluttony. Remember that self-control is freedom and gluttony is slavery. If you're a glutton, you're a slave to gluttony. You're a slave to yourself. But self-control actually gives you freedom in life. It lets you do things that maybe you otherwise wouldn't be able to do if you were just a glutton that gave in to every whim that, and every temptation that comes your way. Number two, remember that self-control is a gift from God. It's not a result of self-reliant willpower. Like none of us in this room can just willpower ourselves to say, I'm not gonna sin. <laughs> we just can't. We're sinful human beings. It really is a gift from God. So we really need to trust God and strive to honor him with our lives and ask him to give us that self-control that we need. Number three, remember that Christ has atoned for my gluttony and he's given me a spirit of self-control. Um, if you think about the fruit of the spirit, all the things that we have in our life, one of those things is self-control. God says, if you're a Christian, I'm gonna put the Holy Spirit in your life and the Holy Spirit is gonna give you fruit in your life. It's gonna be demonstrated. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Self-control is a fruit of the Spirit, something that we all have if the Spirit is in us. We just need to let that fruit um, grow in our lives. Number four, you said it. I love glut myself on Jesus. <laughs> I, never, I didn't know glut could be a verb, but it is. So we are, we are to... Instead of being a glutton for food, we need to be a glutton for Jesus. We need to be like craving and desiring more time and more opportunity to be with him and to be filled with his spirit in our lives. Um, number five, view the Lord's table as a training ground for self-control. When we get together as a church, maybe it's once every couple months we have communion, maybe just remind yourself, hey, I'm gonna remember what Jesus did for me, but I'm also going to remember that he put his Holy Spirit in me and he gives me the ability to have demonstrate self-control. It's just a good reminder for us. Um, set a time, a, some time aside for occasional fasting. I'm not saying you have to fast every day, but maybe there's a time in your life where you just say, man, I'm, today I'm just not gonna eat anything from, you know, I'm gonna have breakfast, but I'm not gonna eat anything until breakfast tomorrow. Whoa, that would make you think, because when your body starts feeling hungry and you start feeling like, oh man, I'm, I really need to eat something, then you, then you think, you know what, instead of eating, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna pray. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna try to focus my energy and attention on God and what he wants me to do with my life. That kind of thing. It just helps you focus, helps you sharpen your, your, uh, your thoughts a little bit and gets us off this mindset of, it's all about me. It's all about me. Um, I like this one, number seven. Set a time side for occasional feasting. There's nothing wrong with having a feast. In the Bible, there's lots of examples of the people getting together to celebrate and to have a feast. Have a big Thanksgiving dinner. Maybe today you're gonna have some dinner for Father's Day. Go for it. Feast, have fun, enjoy it, right? Set, a time, set aside time for those special times. But don't let food be your, be your God. Don't let it take the place of who God is in your life. Uh, number eight, give thanks before my meal. That's an easy one. Most of you probably do that already. But if you don't, start doing it. So just take a 30 seconds, 15 seconds. God, thanks for this food. Thanks for providing it for me. I know you're the one that gave it to me, and you're the one that allowed me to, to have this. Uh, memorize scripture. 
Uh, we, we stood up and we read a bunch of verses this morning. Maybe there's something in there that you want to think about or memorize. We're going to read a verse at the end in, in, in 30 seconds here, and it's probably the best one that you could memorize this morning. And then number 10, stay active. The worst thing we can do is just sit around and be lazy and just be on our phone all day or just be sitting um, in our bedroom doing nothing with a bag of Doritos, right? That's just not going to help. Be active. Be um, out there doing what God wants you to be doing. And look for ways to, like, find that poor person that's sitting at the gate and, and help them instead of being, you know, like the rich man who just didn't care. The last verse we're going to read and end with, why don't you guys stand up? We're going to read this together. This is in Psalm 34. And if you're going to memorize any verse, this would be a cool one to memorize. Psalm 34, 8 through 10. It says, let's read it, let's read it out loud together. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. For those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. So why don't we pray, and then you guys can leave, and you can think that today how you can best um, honor God with your life and your decisions and not allow other things to get in the way or take the place of who God is in your lives. Let's pray. God, we just thank you this morning for just loving us and for just giving us your word that we can look at and we can study and we can just take our eyes off of ourselves and we can focus on you. God, it's so hard, so difficult for us to take our eyes off of ourselves. Um, and yet you do tell us that um, you give us, through your spirit, the ability to have self-control and to think of others and demonstrate love and compassion and be willing to um, help in a time of need. And so, God, I just thank you for this time this morning. I thank you that we don't need to uh, be strapped down in a slavery to gluttony, but that we can have uh, joy and peace and comfort in you, and we can find that in you and in you alone. So, God, we just thank you again this morning, and we pray for our friends in Miami that you'd get them home safely today as well. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thanks, everybody. Happy Father's Day.